good to see you out again tonight. Thank you for participating, and uh, welcome to all those who are watching online. Trust you have gotten a handout that was out in the narthex. And uh, tonight we are in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, titled Caution in Going to the House of the Lord. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, the emphasis is that when we go to God's house, we are to be ready to listen. God has spoken, and so we are to listen. So the theme tonight is, when we enter God's house, we're to prepare ourselves to be obedient to what God says. Theme verse is Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. That's the overarching thought of these seven verses that we will unpack. So first, we are to prepare ourselves when we go to the house of the Lord to listen. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. It's always good to prepare ourselves for worship, to take time to think about what it is that we are doing as we gather together uh, to hear the Word of God. Uh, Prelude has been intentionally a part of many worship services uh, by many groups as a time of meditation, a time to just stop and think and prepare and get ready, all right? And in this uh, portion of Scripture, the emphasis of preparing our hearts is to have a mindset to listen with the intention then of obeying that which God tells us in his word. So A, to listen has the sense of coming to embrace and follow what God says. Uh, Barry uh, G. Webb says this, and I quote, To go to the house of God to listen is to go there to hear the revealed will of God expounded in the form of Torah, and wisdom is to conform one's behavior to it. He's relating to the period of time in which uh, Solomon would have been writing, and what they would have had was the Torah, which is the first five books uh, of the Old Testament. And he said they were to come and they were to be ready uh, to not only hear it, but obey it. So when the scripture is talking about listening, it isn't simply that we are sitting under the sound of particular words, but we're coming with the intention of having heard God's word, then we're going to respond to God's word. There are forms of worship that have been adopted over the years that have intended to to teach certain uh, behaviors and proper responses. And in many high churches, that is liturgical services, uh, that when the scripture's read, for the scripture reading, everyone stands. And the purpose of that is to say, I stand ready, I'm, I'm, ready to move. I am going to follow what the scripture says. And certainly that is the emphasis of this passage. B, listening is important because to obey God is better than offering 
a sacrifice without obedience. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Uh, David A. Hubbard says this in his commentary, and I quote, The sacrifice of fools was empty sacrifice, going through the ritual but missing its meaning. What was the basic principle of the offerings that God required? It was a communion with God expressed by hear, which means virtually to obey, and to draw near, which frequently describes the intimacy between God and those who go to him for worship and fellowship. And then he lists some scripture references. So as we unpack these ideas, the first thing that we want to notice is that the fool is one who does not obey what he hears. Uh, this is uh, pretty evasive through the scriptures. I could have chosen a number of different passages that teach that same idea, but uh, I decided to use from the Sermon on the Mount this statement concerning Jesus. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain will fall and the floods come and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded upon a rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the woods floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So the contrast here is the contrast we find many places in scripture and here in Ecclesiastes the difference between the wise man and the fool is the wise man hears the word and obeys the word. The fool hears the word but does not obey the word. But notice it's not a difference in hearing it's a difference in response. The wise acts in accordance with the word of God. The fool hears, but does not act in accordance with the will of God. So a foolish sacrifice is a sacrifice that's offered in disobedience. We'll see that more. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 1. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. That's far preferable. We were, we've been in 1 Samuel, and uh, certainly there's that famous section with Saul, that to obey is better than sacrifice, but we've been over all of that. So uh, we go to the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 23, still part of the uh, Olivet Discourse of Jesus, uh, he says, So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So the thought here is that before a gift is offered, you want to deal with the sin that is in your life. Sacrifice without obedience is sinful. 
Ecclesiastes 5, verse 1. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To know near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Now that sheds a whole different light on this whole aspect of going through ritual worship, that one can actually worship in a way that is sinful. That we, I think, have a, a mindset that says, you know, uh, worship is just a wonderful thing and we ought to encourage everybody to worship and worship is great. Uh, but worship focuses upon God and not man. And in our worship, what God wants is obedience. And worship without obedience is actually sinful. Number one, sacrifices without obedience are not acceptable to God. In Isaiah chapter one, it's a long series of rebuke for the Israelites in the particular state of affairs that they are in. They're living lives of disobedience before God, although they're very active in their temple worship. They are going through the motions they are doing the things that one does if they are religious, but they were doing it without hearts and lies of obedience. So in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 10, it starts and says, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. In context, he's actually speaking to the rulers of Jerusalem. But he's putting them in their place, if you will, by referring to them as rulers over Sodom and Gomorrah. Certainly they would have taken great offense at that. It would have been a tremendous rebuke. They did not want to think of themselves as Sodom and Gomorrah and all the connotation that's associated with that, with its destruction. But that's how he's addressing the Jewish leaders of Jerusalem. You're ruling over Sodom. You're ruling over Gomorrah. There's no difference, he's saying, in their character and their behaviors. Verse 11, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who is required of you this trampling on my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. Noon, moons, and Sabbaths, and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons, your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. It's an amazing thought that God can actually hate our so-called worship of him. Verse 15, when you spread out your hands, that is to pray, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Now when it says that when we make our prayers, he will not listen, it's not talking about prayers of repentance. It's not talking about prayers of confession. It's talking about prayers of praise and thanksgiving while we're living in disobedience and not following God's word. To offer him praise without disobedience is unacceptable, for you're not praising him. You're not thankful to him if your worship 
is offered in disobedience. Number two, thus repentance and forgiveness is required before offering a sacrifice. Repentance is required. Isaiah 1, 16 and 17. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. If you remember last week, we were in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, it says, I considered all the oppression that is done under the sun. And there were many tears. And on the side of their oppressor, there was power. But they had no comforter. So there's a natural progression from chapter 4 to chapter 5 in talking about how there is oppression and no one doing anything about the oppression. Now in chapter 5, guard yourself. If you're going to come to the house of the Lord and you're disregarding what the Word of God says about oppression, if you're going to disregard what the Word of God says, then be careful. <clears throat> A repentance is required. If one repents, forgiveness will be granted. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Obedience will be followed by blessing. Isaiah 1.19 If you're willing to be obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. David knew that repentance was required before offering a sacrifice. Psalm 51 is written out of the experience of of David committing adultery with Bathsheba, and then f following that, the murder of her husband, uh, Uriah. <clears throat> so Psalm 51 is a, a psalm of confession. And David is confessing his sin before God. And when you get to verse 16, it says this, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. David understood that principle very clearly. He understood that to offer a sacrifice without repentance would not please God. It would not make God acceptable to him. So he needed to offer this with a broken, a contrite heart. Upon, or probably better said, after repentance, then sacrifices are acceptable to God. Verse 19, then you will delight in right sacrifices. The then is with a broken and contrite heart. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. So, repentance, obedience, then worship. The next thought is don't be quick to speak. It says in verse 2, be not rash with your mouth. To be rash is to speak without careful consideration of that which is being said. 
Rashness lacks the proper preparation that one needs in readying oneself for an important discourse. Uh, I'm sure that there are occasions when uh, you were going to have a, an important conversation or you were going to meet with someone or you were going to enter into uh, perhaps had to give a speech or something and you probably took up quite a bit of time thinking about what it was that you were going to say and how you're going to say it. And the thought here is that that's how we ought to enter into the house of God. We ought to give a lot of thought and preparation to what we are going to say for we are going to be speaking before God. E, we should not be impulsive in what we say or to or against God. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty. To be hasty is to be impulsive. It's to act instinctively rather than thoughtfully. It is to give a gut reaction, if you will, uh, to uh, what is uh, said. Rather, we should be reticent to say anything at all. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. Uh, a word, that's a single word. Don't, don't be hasty to offer a single word before God. There, one of the, the new things that is popular in some churches, I don't know how widely acceptable and profitable it is, but uh, it's pretty common, I don't know, to say commonplace. It happens, all right? Uh, where there is a large screen behind the, the preacher and the people in the uh, congregation can text comments during the sermon so that everybody can read the comments, you know? Uh, good point, yeah, amen, whatever, uh, so that people can participate while the, the message is going on. Well, that's very popular. But the scripture says we come to hear, not to speak, not, not to give our two cents, but we are, we are coming to, to listen to what God says. And God holds us accountable for what we say. Gee, we should remember that there is a world of difference between ourselves and God, verse 2. Be not rash with your own mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to offer a word before God, for God is in heaven and you're on earth. Uh, so I've simply said there's a world of difference. God is in heaven. We're on earth. Uh, there is such a, a great span of, of distance between God and ourselves. God is up there. We are down here. So we ought to be real, real slow to speak to God who is up there in any way that would contrast what his word has to say. We don't want to contradict God's word. Um, so number one, we do not think as God thinks, that should be thinks, Thus we are to listen to him. Isaiah 55, verse 6, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. God's thoughts are greater than our thoughts. Verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
The point being that we don't naturally think the way that God does. We have a tendency to rationalize. We have a tendency to look at life from our own experience and then decide what is a good course of action or what we should do or how we should respond rather than simply listen to what God says and do what he tells us to do. That's the right course of action. And that's what we need to do. <clears throat> Therefore, one should say very little at the end of verse 2. Therefore, let your words be few. One should say very little, for only a fool speaks a lot. Verse 3, for a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice with many words. A very busy mind produces dreams, for a dream comes with much business, uh, 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 busyness. I'm, I'm sure you're aware of in your own life, times in which you're going to, head, uh, going to bed at night and your, your mind is just spinning, so many things are going on, uh, and uh, it's hard to even fall asleep, but once you fall asleep, you're gonna have some really wacko dreams, uh, some really bizarre things that, that you can see where they came from because of the things that you were thinking about. B, so too, a lot of words will result in foolish talk, is the uh, point of verse three. It's an interesting application that uh, is made in Ecclesiastes to this thought. What binds it together is this aspect of being quick to speak. And it starts talking about vows. Number two, the application to we have come to hear rather than to speak comes in extended thought on making vows to the Lord. And one of the underlying principles here of the idea that God is in heaven and we are on earth is that God who is in heaven is not only wiser than we are, but he's also a God who's in control. He's a God with power. He's a God who can do what he says. He can fulfill his promises. Uh, nothing thwarts God. So when God makes a promise to us, it will come to pass. That's not who we are. That's, that's not our ability. We can't always fulfill our words. Uh, we are weak. We are fragile. And we're to remember when we start making commitments to God that there's a world of difference between God and us. God keeping his word and we keeping our word. So A, a, a vow is a voluntary commitment to give or do something. It is intended to be an act of consecration. Dedication to the Lord is to be manifested in obedience to his word, not in man-made acts of self-sacrifice. For example, the giving up of chocolate for Lent. Uh, you know, it's popular in Again, high or liturgical churches, uh, Lent is often observed, and it's a period of time in which people look for ways to consecrate themselves, dedicate themselves, show their commitment to God by what they give up. It's a vestige, really, of monasticism. Back in the, the Middle Ages, all right, uh, back when the monks were living in monasteries, and the idea was... If I really love God, then I'm willing to make certain sacrifices. I'm, I'm willing to make commitments. 
I'm really willing to show my devotion to God. And it usually had something to do with some kind of hardship that you were going to self-inflict. When I talk about self-affliction, when you think about monasticism, one of the very common aspects of monasticism were flagellants, meaning that there were tools to beat yourself, literally. Uh, And the thought was they were going to beat the sin out of themselves, and and they were going to beat themselves up over their, their sinfulness. And this is the way that they would show their love for God, by beating themselves or give up certain foods, such as not eating fish on Friday. And that was going to be a sign of commitment. This is my love for God. Here's my commitment. I won't, I won't eat any fish on, on Friday. Or the big one, and it still reigns today, celibacy. All right, if you really love the Lord, then you won't marry. And you will live a life of celibacy. And you will dedicate your, your life for God. And so people would enter into the orders. They would take vows of lifelong commitment to these various uh, commitments. Well, we find out that, first of all, when one makes a vow, one should keep it, verse 4. When you vow a vow to God, in the end of the verse, pay what you vow. Pay what you vow. Do it. Number one, not only should we keep our vows, but we should not act promptly in fulfilling our vows. Verse 4, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it. So not only are you to pay it, but you're to pay it promptly. You're not to put it off. You are not to neglect what commitment you have made. Two, in failing to keep a vow that we have made, we act foolishly, verse 4. When you vow, vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Number three, in failing to keep a vow, God is not pleased. He has no pleasure. The pleasure doesn't come to God by our failure to do what we say. Now, interestingly enough, we're talking about vows here that have nothing to do with the commandments of God. Uh, It's not like the wedding vows that are based upon the scriptures. And when one comes, they're making commitments that are in tune with what the scripture teaches. We're talking about vows that are man-made vows of commitment, like the ones I was talking about, uh, like celibacy or uh, like giving up chocolate or whatever the case may be. But when you make that commitment, it becomes binding. When, when, when you say to God, I'm going to serve you in this way, this is an entanglement that you brought on yourself. God didn't require it. You offered it, but once you offer it, now you've got to live with it. All right, now, now this commitment is binding. <clears throat> D, it is better to not make a vow than it is to make a vow and not keep it, Ecclesiastes 5.5. 5. It is better that you should not vow than that you should not vow and pay. Oh, excuse me, let me read that again. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. The failure to keep a vow is sin. Let, your mouth lead not, let not your mouth lead you into sin. 
Don't get yourself into a situation where you have to make excuses for not keeping your vow. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. It was foolish. I never should have made such a vow. Uh, we're very careful to try and not bind you into making vows that one might not keep. Okay, One of the things that are very popular are faith promises that churches elicit from their congregation concerning giving for uh, either missions or a building program. And they make a faith promise saying that I will give X amount of money. Well, you don't know what next year holds. You don't know what your life circumstance is going to be. And you may have all the best intentions when you sign that faith promise only to find that a year later your circumstances have changed dramatically and now it becomes an incredible hardship. And so you say, well, you know, I meant well, but I can't do it. This is saying you don't want to get there. You don't want to be in a situation where you have to make an excuse for not keeping your word. Third, that will only anger God for what you have said. Why should God be angry at your voice? That which we have intended as being good will only come to naught and destroy the work of your hands. Meaning that, that this is a house of cards. It is going to fall apart. It is not acceptable to God. E, we should be afraid of going against God in what we say, even in our vows. God is the one you must fear. Uh, so we should... Listen to him. F. The lordship of Christ is best manifested not in our words, but in our obedience to his word. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say to you? How can you refer to me as your Lord? How can you refer to me as your master and then turn around and not do what I say? That's why even, even prayers offered in disobedience are unacceptable to God. Often we refer to him as our Lord. Even God, that kind of, the whole conception of God is that we're under his authority. So to speak of being under his authority and then to practically reject that authority by not doing what he says makes worship unacceptable, even prayers. So the conclusion. Worship is centered upon obedience to God. John 4.24, God is a spirit, and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Psalm 19, 33 and 34. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. 
So worship centers upon obedience, not simply sitting under the teaching, but then responding appropriately. B, the proper response to the word of God is obedience to that word, James 1.22. These are all verses everybody knows. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Deceiving yourself is this aspect of believing that somehow, by simply hearing the word of God, and perhaps even knowing the word of God, or even memorizing the word of God, that that's what it's all about. The benefit of hearing, the benefit of memorizing, is so that we know what we should do. It's putting it into practice that is that which is beneficial and that which is praiseworthy and that which glorifies God. And to do anything less, we've deceived ourselves. And it's very easy to deceive ourselves. It's very easy to think that what we do is acceptable and right rather than, you know, the Israelites thought that their offering and doing those things were acceptable. They didn't take it well when Isaiah said, you're the rulers of Sodom and Gomorrah. See, and here's the, I think, the greatest takeaway. The greatest act of devotion is obedience to God. Love is best expressed, not in words, but in obedience. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. The way to show love up to God is not by giving up chocolate. It's not by laying on a wooden bed with a wooden pillow. It's not, as the monks did, wearing itchy cloth so that they were uncomfortable all day. It's not living a life of celibacy. The best way to show love to God. You want to demonstrate commitment? Simply follow his word. Believe me, there is plenty of self-denial in that. There's plenty of sacrifice associated simply with doing what he says. And that is the greatest form of worship. For then we are saying, yes, Lord, you are our Lord. We submit to you. And even more, it's we value what you say. We see the wisdom in it. The foolish man the wise man builds his house upon the rock and the house stands. The foolish man built his house upon the sand and it fell and great was the fall of it. Our lives are miserable in sin. But they are blessed and wonderful as we seek to do what God would have us to do. Now obviously we're all sinful. Obviously we can't live a life of constant obedience, but it's the mindset, it's, it's the attitude, it's the preparation of heart that when we come, that the real intent of our coming is to hear and to do. That there is truth, sincerity in our hearts 
that we're not just coming to critique or we're not just coming to listen or we're not just coming out of obligation and God should be happy because I'm here and I made that commitment, I made that sacrifice to show up. But real worship is coming to hear from God to do what God says. Don't add anything to that. Don't make other commitments. Don't look for other ways to show your love to God. Obedience. Obedience. Obedience is the heart of worship and true love for God. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word. and Lord, I, I pray that you would help us in our hearts that we know so much of your word. May we not simply know it. May we not simply be able to recite it. Lord, give us hearts that yield to it. Lord, may our worship be acceptable to you because we come to hear and to do. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you and very much.